and welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics. I am your host, Maria Cernata, an academic based in Bucharest. And with me, as usual, the co-host of the show, the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist, Boyan Stanislaus. <clears throat> Hello. So, Boyan, just before recording, you sent me a couple of very interesting articles about Poland. I told you, you may be very envious <laughs> because nothing of the sort happens in Romania. For instance, Polish ruling party unveils referendum questions to let ordinary Poles, not German politicians, decide. Then we have another one, very interesting. Polish military loses missile fuse on flight near Belarus border and asks public to report sightings. If they find it, yes. (laughs) <laughs> I can find it, right? Yeah. Another one. Polish Prime Minister challenges how the largest group in European Parliament to debate. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, perhaps you want to start with that, because this is really Ukraine one of the most intriguing things. Of yeah. summoning Polish ambassador over the road. So we can start with this, uh, this uh, article. Why did they want, the Polish politicians wanted to challenge the head of the largest group in the European Parliament. Well, that what? okay. Well, that's because he was uh, uh, he was making some statements uh, that were very aggressive, uh, borderline vulgar against the ruling uh, party, the party ruling in Poland, uh, that is law and justice. And uh, law and justice has been in power since 2015, and it's won I think eight or nine elections in a row, at least seven, uh, but probably more. And uh, it might end up winning yet another round of elections in October. The Polish president has already uh, issued a decree uh, where he suggests to the, uh, well, I don't know how to translate officially the name of this institution, but of the uh, electoral committee of the kind of, you know, the, the commission that basically is responsible. Uh, for uh, organizing elections in Poland, they uh, that they organize it on the 15th of October. So we're left with some two months, basically, of very intense campaign and then elections. So what happened is that the head of the European People's Party, which is the largest faction in the European Parliament, which is, you know, referred to as liberal, conservative, mildly or moderately right-wing organization or conglomeration of such parties from across uh, the European Union. And of course, the Polish party led by Donald Tusk, which is the civic platform, belongs to that party. And the civic platform has, well, a long history of being Uh, vehemently pro-European, pro-European Union party, um, aligning very closely with uh, the main figures on the German right. And I'm talking about not not about like the new German right, not about uh, the alternative, uh, the alternative for Germany, uh, but rather the CSU and CDU, uh, which are the factions, uh, which are the party parties uh, that form the most important 
right-wing coalition, conservative, right-wing, liberal, whatever, uh, coalition in Germany that gave birth to figures like Angela Merkel or Helmut Kohl, for that matter. So uh, they are very close, the civic platform and CDU slash CSU. And of course, there is a profound understanding in the civic platform, as well as in the kind of more liberal part of the Polish public, uh, that the European affairs are run mostly by Germany, to some extent by France in the past, to some extent by um, the United Kingdom, but mostly Germany. And on many occasions, politicians from the civic platform have publicly pleaded with Germany to take more firm action against or in favor of certain processes or events that were happening uh, in the European Union. And recently, this became a topic of very heated debate in Poland that's coming back every once in a while, because uh, one such theme that was a subject of multiple requests from the side of the Polish opposition MEPs uh, that is members of European Parliament, was to take action against the sitting Polish government, the sitting Polish president, the sitting Polish uh, prime minister. And of course, there were there are many uh, there are many allegations and there are many um, accusations against the Polish government, which are formulated and uttered uh, and presented and stated by various opposition figures in Poland and outside Poland supporting the Polish opposition. Many of those things are, in my opinion, factually true or are the case. Fact of the matter is that Poland has become something like uh, a thickening authoritarian government, uh, that there is no respect for anything like the rule of law. There is no respect for, for the Constitution. There is no respect for many international arrangements and, uh, and, and agreements that Poland uh, has ratified, became part of. That's, that's all true. That's true. Now, does this mean that uh, the Polish politicians who don't like the government have the kind of carte blanche to just go around to any kind of international institution and play the role of a cheap snitch who's just going to go there and say, oh, our government is so terrible, our government is so hopeless, our government is repressing us, our government is repressing, I don't know, minorities, our government is repressing this or that, our government is doing all kinds of horrible things, do something about this government. Now, this is a very bad strategy because you are supposed to confront your political opponents in at home, in your, you know, in, in your, uh, how to say that, political jurisdiction, if you like, right? This is, you should be a better candidate for the parliament, for the president, uh, for, you know, for anything, basically, right? And they cannot be that. They have not been a better candidate. They have not been able to come up with any kind of better candidates for any kind of elections over the last seven or eight years. So they resort to, you know, uh, if any, you know, the Polish government comes up with an outrage, with some kind of outrage every week you know, on average, right? So what they do is they take this outrage uh, or they take this thing that provokes outrage and they carry it to the European Parliament and they coerce and they ask the Germans to coerce everyone to vote now 15 resolutions against the Polish government. And that happens, of course, but the problem is that the, Pol the, the any international institution, uh, even the UN, let alone the European Parliament, which has no prerogatives really, uh, can remove the Polish government and 
I do not understand why do they hope that it actually will, but what it does, it actually strengthens the understanding on the part of the Polish public that the European Union institutions, that the European Union's leading politicians are supporting one part of the Polish public internal political debate. And this has, of course, been used by the media syndicates surrounding and supporting the Polish government, and they have a lot of media supporting them, including the public, so-called public media, it's now their own party media, really, um, who uh, have, for the last eight years, have made this point, you know, every once in a while, strengthening it, intensifying the message, you know, and being increasingly clear about who defends whose interests on the Polish political arena. And they already uh, have convinced a large part, a large portion of the Polish public that the civic platform and Donald Tusk support Germany, not Poland, but Germany. So, you know, uh, this is this this is the context. Now, the very the very event uh, that the article that you brought uh, up discusses is that, you know, every once in a while, the European Union leaders, uh, various leaders, they they lose it and they say something stupid. Uh, do you remember how uh, Ursula von der Leyen kind of didn't manage to, to you know, to, to kind of control herself? And right before the elections that took place in Italy a couple of months ago, if I remember correctly, I think it was this year, when Giorgia Meloni won, right? She said publicly, and she's on record, you can find that on YouTube and anywhere, really. She said, do whatever you want, but don't vote for Giorgia Meloni. And the result of that was that Giorgia Meloni, of course, has won the elections and the margin of uh, victory was much larger than predicted in the in the polls before she had uttered this crazy phrase. And now what recently had uh, happened is that the leader of the European People's Party, one Manfred Weber, said that uh, the Law and Justice Party are our enemies and they have to be fought uh, uh, they have to be combated, they have to be fought with, with every possible means. You know, a rather radical statement, I would say. You know, like, all, all possible means, like, what kind of means do you, uh, do you have in mind? Uh, that's, that's an open question, I suppose. Uh, but it was an obvious act, in, and, and this is how it was interpreted, and of course this interpretation was brought uh, to the Polish public by the pro-government uh, media, that this is an attempt to meddle in the Polish political parliamentary electoral process. And uh, what the Polish Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, did, and I think, it was, I think it was very clever, he said publicly, I think he said that on Twitter, it's not called Twitter anymore, by the way, it's called what, X? It's not, yeah, X, right? So uh, he... X. Yeah, so he uh, he actually consensus in there seems to be at least a consensus to the extent that I familiarize myself uh, with what they are saying about it uh, a consensus about well we didn't quite help Donald Tusk with all this adventure you know so yes, and, and I find it if you allow me Boyan I find this to be so elitist and undemocratic and just speaks to the fact that these people haven't come to terms with the fact that. The law and justice is voted by a majority, you know, yeah. in Poland of those who express their options. So when you discuss like this, you you just spit into the faces of those who express their option and they voted for law and justice. So yes. I don't understand where does this, you know, moral superiority comes from. 
Well, I think, I think it comes from many factors, but yeah. In the past 30 years, I mean, Poland always, and I, I'm pretty sure that the politicians and even the ordinary citizens uh, think of themselves as somehow superior to Romania and Bulgaria. But nevertheless, I think they are wrong in doing so, not from, you know, principal point of view, that, but the fact that these past 30 years haven't taught us very much about how the, the, the democracy works. And unfortunately, we don't understand that for the Western countries to be so developed, we have to be underdeveloped. There is a relation, you know. And we were never going to be allowed to live and invited with warm arms, you know, into the Western part of the world and all the rest. And very harsh lessons. Well, we are invited to the extent you know, that they can exploit it. I yes, guess, yeah. of course, and transform us into, you know, second-class citizens that do petty jobs and all the rest. Now, I want to move to this very interesting... Yeah, but, but last question. Can you can you imagine someone in Russia saying that this is our man in Poland and you should discuss with him? <laughs> I mean, what, what kind of... What, what, you know, we'd, we'd be hearing about it 24-7 all across you know, the even corporate media. Romanian, let's yeah. say that even if a Romanian, somebody in Romanian government would say that we have our man in Poland, I think everybody would yeah. be bored. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Romania, it's a inferior from the point of view of the number of people living here citizens and all the rest economic power and all the rest so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be russia or you think yeah. the bulgarians saying something yeah. like this <laughs> that's just ridiculous on its face right <laughs> when, you know when you're german like i guess yeah but... and i want to talk now about this little incident that you had with ukraine in the sense that polish said uh, the Polish said that the Ukrainians should start appreciating the help they are getting from Poland. And let the viewers be reminded, especially the ones that are not from our region, that Poland proved to be a very, very close ally to the government in Kiev, to the authorities in Ukraine and today uh, you helped a lot of refugees, millions of people fled to Poland and they were welcomed and they were uh, accommodated there. So a lot of support and Poland is one of the most vocal Eastern European and Central European states that want to get involved directly even in the conflict. But there seems to be a little bit of a friction recently between yes. the authorities in Warsaw and the ones in Kiev. Please tell and us. Okay. It's probably going to deepen, I mean, the problem, the crisis between Poland and Ukraine, because Poland is finally coming to terms with the fact that it's being used by Ukraine. And this is something that I've said many times on our show and on different, on different podcasts that, you know, this is not how people uh, or at least many people in Poland and really across the Western public imagine this to be. And the problem here, the major, the fundamental problem is that the Polish authorities, the Polish powers that be, the Polish conservatives, the Polish right wing, however, the Polish patriots, maybe that would be uh, the most accurate formulation, they do not react to political events and processes in a rational manner. And, you know, I understand people are very emotional beings and, and often very impulsive. And I understand when the public, the wide public reacts, you know, emotionally, sometimes very rationally. I understand that. But you'd expect from political leaders to have a pinch of brain, right? And to actually think about what they're doing and to think about the consequences of what they're doing. Well, it's a very sad 
it's a very sad conclusion that I have to make, is that the Polish liberals, or the Polish wannabe liberals, because they're not really liberals, they're conservatives, just not as rampant conservatives and not as vulgar as the law and justice ones. Uh, but uh, those from the civic platform, those from the Donald Tusk party, those around Gazeta Wyborcza, the kind of major platform, you know, um, that media platform that they're concentrated around, they have a more pragmatic approach to politics. And uh, this is, uh, this is something that gives them a bit of uh, a bit of a kind of you know th their strength maybe you know over the conservatives who are obsessed with certain things and those obsessions never let them uh, you know they, they can never let go in a sense that the Polish liberals are going to do they are going to be just as subservient to the United States to Germany to you know the collective West as the Russians like to say to any of the decision making centers in the uh, collective across the collective West. But they are going to do it, they're going to implement their servilism, their, 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 their kind of obedience, they're going to implement it in the most pragmatic and, practi and most practical possible manner. They will try to, you know, steal some money, they will try to, I don't know, fix uh, some good uh, jobs for their family, their relatives, their colleagues, their friends and stuff like that. And they will, of course, uh, you know, eventually coerce the Polish society, the Polish public to do this or that or to adapt to this or that. They, that's what they're going to do. They're not going to play any games. They're going to be very straightforward about it. And this is why the Ukrainians prefer to have the Polish liberals and Donald Tusk in power rather than law and justice, because law and justice is also fixated on many kind of uh, on, on many, I, I don't even know how to call it, like myths, it's not even mythology, it's some kind of um, phantasms, maybe is the word, you know, the, the phantasms about Polish history and about the about Polish role in history, about what the Polish role should be, about, you know, what the Polish nation should mean in international relations. You know, all those things are very important for them in their kind of ideology, if you like. If it's even a coherent ideology, I don't believe that. Uh, because if you want to be a Polish patriot, you wouldn't really be so subservient to the Americans. You would want a Poland to be, you know, strong and in partnership, even in America, with America, Russia, whoever, right? With any kind of strong party. But you'd, you'd like to have a position... A, you know, some kind of subjectivity and so on. <clears throat> Whereas they, they don't exercise anything like that. What, what they do uh, is they mm, substitute their own ideological, phantasmatic, mythological thinking about Poland and about the Polish nation, about Polish history and about themselves, eventually. Uh, they, they, they substitute it for actual political action that they could take on an international or national for that matter but we're talking about international relations here on international stage so uh the first the first sign of this weird concept and weird approach was uh one of the vice mm, of the deputy foreign ministers i think it was piotr yashina but i'm not sure if you i'm not a hundred percent sure it was him but i think uh it was exactly that person who said in the first days of the military conflict that began on the 24th of February last year, he said, and he publicly stated that it, his own record, you can find it again uh, all over the place, like YouTube or wherever. He said, we are now the servants of the Ukrainian nation. That's exactly the formulation he used, that we are, we are servants, you know? <laughs> so that outraged many people, of course, but the, uh, but the, um, the reaction, the emotional reaction against the war and in favor of Ukraine was so big that everyone 
basically forgave him at that moment in time. And then, unfortunately, because there was no reaction, no outrage, this kind of way, this kind of approach, this kind of approach deepened. And we had more and more ridiculous statements like that culminating recently in uh, the, uh, the Polish president coming back from Vilnius during their failed NATO summit a couple of weeks ago. He came back and he was asked by a journalist a very genuine question. Mr. President, what have you done for us? I'm paraphrasing. He didn't ask it like that straightforwardly. There was like some combination of words, but uh, some other combination of words. But that, that was the main, uh, uh, you know, m that was the main uh, content of the question. What have you actually done for us? during this summit for Poland, what have you, you know, fixed, basically. To which he replied by Poland, I did not go there to fix anything for Poland. <laughs> that was, his, I, you know, so of course the logical conclusion was that he went there to uh, press the NATO countries, especially the United States, to invite Ukraine to NATO. So, you know, we were operating in this mode of being a servant to the Ukrainian nation and all of those things that have happened, you know, receiving the refugees, supporting them with weapons, money and all kinds of things that that was part of their understanding and approach of being a servant. And I don't know what they hoped for. They probably hoped that someone in Ukraine would go like, oh, they are serving us so well and they are helping us so much. So we're going to give up all our interests and we're going to even confront our masters in America and we're going to conduct different policy towards Poland than we normally uh, that would normally do. That was probably the underlying expectation that they have in their metaphysical patriotic understanding of Poland. So this is, uh, this of course, th this was never to materialize. Of course, of course not. Like why would anyone give up their own interest just because you are doing what you are doing? That is, you're basically putting forward the entire capacity, economic, uh, infrastructural, all kinds of your own country for free. To the, uh, to the other nation. Well, of course, they're going to take an advantage of that. And now Poland comes to realize that Ukraine is, as it said in one of those articles that you brought up here, is not thankful enough. Well, it has never been. And no one will be thankful if you don't demand any kind of attitude towards yourself when you are offering them all kinds of services. Like if you basically pull down your pants and bend backward and bend, bend forward, I'm sorry, this is like what you get. Like you're, you really have to be a tough uh, and, 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 and kind of assertive politician in order to make sure that you are benefiting from some kind of process that you're getting so heavily involved in, which is so risky on top of everything, right? Yes, you, you of need... course, there is no place for morale here. I mean... Morale or emotions. Or you know. emotions and all the rest. And then you're getting upset because you're not respected. Well, if you don't but, but it's not just that they're not respected. It's not about respect. It's about the fact that Ukraine is demanding things from Poland. And they are going like, how can they, how dare you demand things from us? We're helping you. Well, yeah, we have this and that demands and they are supported by Germany. They are supported by America. You have to comply. This is what the uh, Ukrainians are saying. And also, you know, the technical thing that actually uh, was, was, the, was the factor provoking this particular instance of that crisis was uh, a Twitter exchange of opinions about the Volhynia massacre that took place in 1943 uh, by the current heroes of, uh, of the Ukrainian uh, history. You know, people like Stepan Bandera and, Saz and Shuhevich and so on. I, I, I don't want to go into that. If anyone wants to know anything about the Volhynia massacre, which was, uh, which was 
perpetrated by the Ukrainians on against the Polish, against the Jewish population, against the Russian population in that area in 1943. That's, uh, th those were horrible events that I, quite rightly, Poland and many other, by the way, countries, uh, claim that Ukrainians have not de dealt with properly. And every once in a while, especially around the anniversaries that are celebrated, in, well, celebrated, kind of commemorated in Poland, uh, this question is being brought up. And... Of course, there was no other way but for Poland to bring it up again and to say that the Ukrainians have done, not done enough. Not only should they uh, apologize, if you can, I, I hate this, I mean, can you apologize for slaughtering hundreds of thousands of people? I don't, I don't really believe in apologies. But I, I think they should do some kind of gestures. And one such gesture requested, multi, that, that, you know, is, is a big problem for Ukraine, is to examine the graves. You know, the examine the graves of the people and let's see how many people have actually died, what's been done to them, what kind of torture they've been subjected to and so on and so forth. Let's let's get it clear and let let let's let you know history speak basically. So that's something that the Ukrainians don't want to agree to, and they have been very aggressive in their responses on Twitter and probably across all other uh, social media to the Polish, saying that this is not the right time, how dare you, we are attacked by Russia, you're supposed to have our back, and so on and so forth. And finally, the Polish patriots, you know, they kind of flipped, and they said, no, that's enough, like, you should be thankful. You know, that's that, that's how things should be. You should be thankful. And, you know, then the whole chain of events started. You know, the Polish ambassador summoned in Kiev to the foreign ministry, then the Polish prime minister making aggressive statements, then the leader of law and justice, um, Kaczynski, who is the actual leader of the political process in Poland, saying that we ban, you know, the Ukrainian grain and other food products. Uh, we're not going to let them through Poland, regardless of what European Union says. You know, so we have an open conflict, and within this conflict, now Poland is coming to realize the fact that they've been played. And of course, they've been played not because Ukraine is so evil or because you know Zelensky is this or that. He is all those things, by the way. But you know, not because of that, but because. You know, in international relations, in any relations, really, when you come to think about it sociologically, if you go somewhere and present yourself, you openly state that I'm a very, I have a very weak constitution. Everyone can use and abuse me in all kinds of manners and there will be no consequences. Then you're inviting people or international factors in that situation to actually use and abuse you. And this is what happened. So if there's anyone to blame here, it's the Polish politicians who have taken this decision to be the servant of a nation. I mean, this is so ridiculous and stupid. And this is so humiliating because, you know, I don't have anything against Ukrainians, you know, coming here, doing whatever, receiving all kinds of support and help and stuff like that. But I don't want to be a laughingstock. You know, as, as, as a citizen of Poland, I don't want to, 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 uh, to be made fun of by the Ukrainians, by the Russians, by the Belarusians, by all serious people, really. And uh, this, is, this is, I think, a very, very problematic element that is actually playing a role in the upcoming uh, elections because there are forces on the right, to the right, of law and justice. Uh, who used to poll around 9, 8, 10 percent, uh, and uh, now they are polling around 17 percent. And it's precisely because they, they are exposing law and justice to many people for what it is, using the occasion of the most recent anniversary of the Volini Massacre, saying these are the patriots who claim that they put Poland back on its feet, that Poland is rising from its knees, that Poland is now becoming a major factor, is going to 
you know, become uh, what it deserves to be in international relations in Europe and all the rest of it. And at the same time, they are bending forwards, uh, you know, exposing a certain part of anatomy to Ukraine. And this is this is unacceptable. And I think to many people who actually initially believed law and justice, that they are the biggest patriots in Poland, are now mm, becoming disillusioned and are becoming fans of a party which is even worse than law and justice. Uh, but, well, that's... And I think it's going to happen all across Europe and especially in our countries because you talked about revival in uh, Bulgaria. We have Aur in Romania. We spoke about this right-wing party many times. And now you have this right-wing political parties that are even worse than law and justice. Yeah, it's called Confederation, by the way. It's a coalition. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. But... And, to make things even worse for the Polish political establishment and for the military that bragged about going to Poland and solving, you know, the problem with the war and, uh, you know, building some sort of military force in the western part of Ukraine, we have the Polish military losing a missile Amazing. on flight near Belarus border and as public to report sightings. I mean, why would you ask the public? Don't you have satellite images? Don't you? Well, that's that's very difficult because it's only 10 centimeters long. So it's difficult to probably locate it by a satellite unless it would be, I don't know, a Chinese satellite or something like yes, that. But, but uh, you know, they know what the, the trajectory was of the flight because it's getting recorded, I suppose, and then they could go yeah. and find it. Well, that's 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 the actual question. The first question that comes to uh, one's mind is why are they actually even talking about that? If you lost a part of your weapon of your missile that you carry you know just shut up and go find it yeah exactly just shut up go find it collect it and that's it like why would you actually do that well the reason is that unfortunately they've lost this part it's called uh, uh what is it called again uh, tell me diff uh, missile fuse missile fuse right so this this fuse is the a part of a missile which is actually igniting it so it actually contains a small amount of explosives itself. So it's potentially dangerous, not like a mine. It's not going to, you know, blow off your leg or anything like that, but it can cause a very serious injury. And it's just 10 centimeters or 11 centimeters long. So it's difficult to spot it. It's like, that's why they probably had to alert the public because they thought that it's better to actually have the public alerted rather than to get someone stepping on it and, you know, getting harmed seriously and then to you know have to explain that we've that it's actually because our army has lost this or that part of a missile so that's uh, that's number one number two is this displays the actual capacity of the polish army unfortunately this is not the first uh, such a ridiculous occurrence during uh, this period of war uh, in Ukraine. A couple of months ago, we had a missile that actually flew from the territory of Ukraine and landed somewhere around Bydgoszcz, which is a north-central, central-northern, really, uh, uh, city in uh, Poland. And in the woods surrounding that city, a missile landed. Thank God it was not equipped with an uh, actual uh, explosive, what is it called, the kind of, the, the, I, I forgot the term, the head of the missile, which actually explodes, right? So it was it was a fake head, fake kind of, it was made of cement or concrete or something like that. Mm, and it was apparently a missile that was uh, going to distract the attention of the, uh, 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 of the uh, uh, air defense. 
decoy or, or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, it landed somewhere and no one, and, and it lied in those woods for months until someone collecting mushrooms or something came across and said, oh, here's a Russian missile. What's, what, what is it doing here? And alerted the Polish military. And this is how it all started, right? And it resulted in a horrible quarrel between the Ministry of Defense and the uh, Polish generals. And uh, this bad blood between those two uh, institutions actually continues on. And it's a very, very strange situation. And then we had this provocative uh, actions uh, from the side of Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, who sent some helicopters allegedly crossing into Polish airspace. We talked about it last time, I think, on our program a week ago. Was it, uh, And... Uh, then the Polish responded by uh, accumulating military force and people on the Polish-Belarusian border and, of course, flying, you know, helicopters. You flew your helicopters, we're going to fly our helicopters. Now you're going to see, right? And then they flew their helicopters to, you know, uh, scare uh, Lukashenko and to, you know, show off to the Belarusian army and they lost a part of the missile. That was the, that was the whole, you know, uh, that, that, that. That's how it all ended, basically. So uh, it's a it's a very very compromising story, and uh, you know if you losing you that... know military equipment in <laughs> is not good. But... I mean, I remember just a fun fact. You know, in Romania, I don't know if you have that in Bulgaria where you grew up, but in Romania during the communist time, we have a completely different organization of the army. I think it was way better, in the sense that they said. Look, the army is a necessary evil, but we have to all defend ourselves. And women and men would be trained to defend the country. Everybody had military training and the women were not accepted from that. I remember that one of my friends told me that, you know, in a sense, sexism served them because the military training was not so harsh for them in the sense that they would go into the woods, but then they would stay, spend some time there and they would come back. Not so much military training, but she forgot her rifle near a tree because she fell asleep. And then the whole military unit had to go and search for the rifle. Yeah. So these things happen from time to yeah. time, but now the, this display of incompetence is so laughable. Yeah, and this is the army that is potentially to enter into conflict with the Russians uh, over Western Ukraine or something. I mean, th there are many allegiances uh, uh, with regards to that. I don't believe any of it, really, that anyone yeah, in Poland actually wants. Romanians talking crazy stuff like that. I keep telling myself, what are these people smoking? You know, saying that Romania is going to march all the way to Vladimir. Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, first fly your helicopters and see if you're and not going to lose anything. <laughs> they just expose us, you know, ordinary people to unnecessary violence with this kind of crazy talk. Yeah. They just expose yeah. us to unnecessary, unprovoked violence with this kind of, you know, delusion and that they are simply... Yeah, or, or, or danger, you know, danger in form of like, we're going to fly our helicopters and go lose this or that. Like, I'm pretty sure that they have their backs covered in a sense that if things really go bad, they're going to be the first one fleeing the country. Yeah, yeah, of course. And they're going to say, you stay and fight. Yeah, I know, of course. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is it. So, uh, so, so, so I, I... was very interesting. I mean, Poland is number one in terms, in terms of interesting things going on. Bulgaria second, and Romania, unfortunately, the frozen land. <laughs> Nothing interesting really happens. But we'll see because elections right. are approaching and we see some sort of descent between the social yeah. democrats and the national liberals. And also Aur, who might be... Cons but even Aur in Romania, 
that is sovereign right wing, even them, they are not, you know, expressing pro-Russian sentiments uh, out in the open. So even them are very quiet about it. It's very interesting. Uh, and we will see how they will evolve in time because there are factions in this political party that are, they don't like Russians, but they like Vladimir Putin and his way of ruling. That is very interesting. And we will talk more about it because also from a psychological point of view, they are very interesting. So well, thank you so much, Boyan, for your useful comments. And the viewers, if you like what you saw, please consider support us because we rely on your help. Patreon.com slash the barricade and other links you can find in the description, PayPal, and other ways you can support us. We have a small community of donors to whom we are very, very thankful. We couldn't do it without your help. So please continue supporting us. And we'll see you all in the next segment of our show coming and presenting to you interesting things in Romania, Bulgaria, Poland. Thanks. Right. Thank you very much.